Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. The very first time I preached at this church, I was a visitor. I met Wally at his daughter's wedding. He said, will you come and preach? I was like, cool, where's Bloberg Table? I don't know where that is. I'm from Durban. It's not a thing, you know. So I came to this church in Tableview, and I came and preached here, and I, I preached my guts out. I remembered. I gave it everything I had. And at the end of the meeting, Wally said, um, I want to get the business guys up, because Mark was a business guy. I want to get the business guys up and ask Mark to pray for the business guys. So there was a group of business guys, and God started doing some things in the room. It was awesome. And, um, but there was a camera guy at the back there who had a camera this big. We didn't have one of these small little cameras like we do now. We had a big camera. And he got very excited by this moment. So excited, in fact, that he felt, I've got to be in the action over there. The only problem is that camera is wired up to a whole bunch of other TVs and things that needs to be wired up to actually work. But in his excitement and moments of, I want to be in the action with this camera, he picked up this massive camera. I mean, I'm talking one of those shoulder guys like the guys run next to the, the rugby field. He unplugged every cable and ran to the front. And I'm busy praying, and then I noticed the camera guy without any cables is here, and he's in the action. He was so excited by the moment. The problem was no one else could benefit. All the mothers in the different mothers' rooms couldn't see or hear anything. And um, he was having a whole whale of a time. And I was trying to stay focused in praying for people, realizing this camera guy has lost his mind, but he's in it, in the moment. It was awesome. And we tell that story often because it's cool. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a kind of like Christians who often too easily, because of sometimes excitement, opportunity, possibilities, We do something unwittingly, unknowingly, we unplug from the source of the life. We unplug from the source and and actually the thing that keeps our life fruitful, that takes the picture into other spaces, other stories that bring God glory, we unplug. And it's exciting in the moment. I mean, if only I could tell you the excitement, and I won't tell you his name because he's still in our church, but he got so excited. He was, I don't know what he was doing with that camera. He was zooming in and out, um, but, but often and too often... I would say, as I've met with Christians, too often we get excited by moments, we run into things. And actually, I want to speak today about being led by the Spirit of God, led by God. We have finished our Eternity Matters series. I have one week to just give you something of a vitamin B shot and give it to myself that I want to tell you the church is called to be a dangerous church. I went and researched on Google the other day. I said, danger church. I was looking for articles about how dangerous the church has been and where they've gone. They perceived as dangerous. I joined a church that met in a circus tent. And I would tell people I went to this church and people were like, oh, you sure that's a good church? It's like, they're a bit weird. They meet in a circus tent. But there was something dangerous there. There was something so attractive. So much of the life of God, people getting healed. People were going and planting churches in outrageous places across the world. There was a dangerous, I wanted to be there. But I went and plugged in Dangerous Church in Google. You know what I got? Ten dangers of what the church should look out for. I got um, dangerous voices in the church. I got dangerous theology. I got all these warning signs rather than the church are called to be this seen by the world around us as a dangerous force. 
And one thing happened that changed the game. One thing that changed the game completely. Jesus took his disciples. He walked with them for years. And they got all the principles. They got the learnings. They got the insights. But then the crucifixion happened. He comes back and he says to them, I want you to wait. I need you to wait because I'm going to give you a gift. And because I'm leaving, the Father is going to send and give you a gift called the Holy Spirit. And they get touched by the Spirit of God. It says a roaring wind in the room comes, like Cape Town, but inside. Sometimes, if you were here last week, it's just a wind that cannot be controlled. And tongues of fire come on these fishermen, these tax collect- this tax collector, a doctor that comes on these rebels and and. And the Spirit of God comes upon them. And Peter, who's a wimp, he was the one who, when a little girl came up to him and said, aren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, not me, wrong guy. He's like, wrong guy. She must have been a scary little girl. And the Spirit of God comes upon that same guy. And he preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. Something's changed. God's given his Spirit to the church, and we get led by the Spirit of God. There is power, there's possibility, and there's a bit of danger. And I want to call us to something of that at this time, to be a people who are plugged into the possibilities of God. See, the challenges everywhere I go, they serve great coffee and maybe some rusks if I'm lucky, but everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there were riots or revivals. I've got to get comfortable with riots if I want to see revival. And I'm telling you, I want to see revival. We are wasting our time planting a church in the city of Captain if we don't want to see revival. I want to see revival. That building we are planting in is 187 years old. And in the late 60s, early 70s, it hosted the Cape Town last revival to move through Cape Town called the Hippie Revival. As God got into this community of hippies and one of the leaders got saved. And then out of that came a movement of church planters from a revival started in that place. Why not in our time? I love reading stories of revival. I love it. But I want to tell stories of revival in our time. And God's got some amazing things for us. But I'm telling you, it'll come when we get used to this being led by the Spirit of God. And maybe you've even said and you've spoken to, you know, some of those holy roller Christians who say things like, you know, the Lord led me down this way. Like, cool. For you. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was praying that and God said, do this, so I did that. And everyone goes, that's awesome, and we applaud it. But that's the wrong response. The right response is, I want that. I want that. Oh, no, preacher, you need that because you're a preacher. You need God to speak. No, I'm telling you, accountants and engineers and geologists and geophysicists, because I don't know what the difference between you two are, and, and uh, Parents and teachers, I'm telling you, outside of the Spirit of God and being led by the Spirit of God, we are powerless. Unplugged cameramen running around, entertaining people, but no picture going to the world. And God wants a picture to go to the world. His glory, His power. And this is what it looks like in the Bible. In Acts chapter 8, it says, the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, In Acts chapter 11, the Spirit told me to go with them. In Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas. Again, Acts chapter 13, so being sent out by the Spirit of God, they went. Acts chapter 15, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Acts chapter 16, I'll get there. Acts chapter 20, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I'm like, I want that life. 
I want to tell you the book of Acts is not a prescription for the church. I believe it is a description of the possibilities for the church. When I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's the sharing, it's this generosity, it's healings in their midst, it's the word of God breaking out. It's a description of what's possible for our lives in this time now. If we will allow God to shake us and shape us and lead us. And so I'm telling you, the church becomes dangerous when we stop trying to direct our own steps. And we start allowing God to reveal and show. This is what it looks like in Acts chapter 16. Maybe you've heard someone say language like this. Or, Lee, and you're going, well, that's interesting. God led you. What does that mean? God spoke to you. You had a dream. Well, this is what it looks like. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Let's just stop there. Why would the Spirit of God keep them from preaching? They haven't heard the gospel. Surely the Spirit of God, surely it's an open door. There are people there. No, but the Spirit kept them. It says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mazia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Not just to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel to them. There is this leading, guiding voice of God that we love reading in the Bible for other people. But I want to put an appetite inside of your heart and inside of your head and thinking about God. That God doesn't want to lead other people only. He wants to lead you. But you've got to have an appetite for it. You've got to know how to go there. You've got to know how to silence some other voices that are leading you. Because here's the truth. We all think we are the masters of our own destiny and leading it. We are being led by some voice. If it's materialism, if it's consumerism, if it's love for self, if it's whatever, Mother Earth, I'm not sure what excites people, but they seem to make a lot of decisions based on these things. God says, I want to lead your life. That's what being a disciple is. You are someone not who just follows, you're led. And God says, I want to do that. I want to put that appetite because I'm telling you, when we get that and we start running in that, we become dangerous. I want people to drive past that building and go, you know, I'm not sure I want to go there because I know my mates. And they went there and they got so healed and restored and released. And they're so unfavorable. I'm a bit scared to go there. I want people to say that about us. If that scares you, I'm happy with that too. But we love this Jesus and he does amazing things when he touches people's lives. On Friday, we had a wedding in this church. I love weddings. And I have the privilege of, I've done about 145 weddings. And there's some pastors from around who've probably done a whole lot more. But, but they're just awesome privilege. It's just an incredible privilege. But two young people, one of them arrived here three and a half years ago, having been 12 years of antidepressants, full of anxiety, with no clarity for his life, just doing a job he didn't want to do necessarily. And he encountered the love of Jesus. Not lights and a church and... The love of Jesus. Got transformed, healed. Now he's one of your pastors. His name's Michael. And he looks after. He's our care pastor. He oversees our care process. If that doesn't sound a little dangerous, like how did he change? It's Jesus. And then he got married to a girl. 
who's had a long journey with Jesus, and I had the privilege and the pain of sitting with her at one of her lowest moments over she dropped the ball radically, and there was a massive cost. And I saw the grace of God invade and heal and restore, and I see her walk down an aisle. Because of the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus alone, I go, this gospel is dangerous. This gospel will change you. And if you allow it, it will heal you. It will restore you. It will send you out. But I, I want to tell you that this demands a few things. It demands closing. I, I, I want to just address the issue of the language Christians love to use called God opened a door. Ever heard that? Maybe you said it. Act casual. No one knows. But I really don't believe that Christians should be living on a currency of a door open. Do you know what happened for Jonah when God called him to Nineveh? A door open to Tarshish. It says he paid his way. You know where he ended up? In the belly of a whale. And only getting back to faith was the reason he came out the front end. I've told you that. But, but we live in a world, and a Christian world is where this, well, doors open. Well, if you apply for 100 jobs... Chances are doors will open if you're good at your job. And my unbeliever mates who don't know this King Jesus, they, they apply for jobs. You know what happens? Doors open. I believe the enemy is a master door opener too. But I want to call us to something far higher, far greater, to a God who speaks, who leads, who directs our steps. And I want to challenge that sometimes we live in this Christian mysticism and we spiritualize some times rebellion. We spiritualize it. We're like, the door opened. It must be God. No, well, have you asked him if he opened the door? Has he spoken? Because you know what my Bible says? Romans 12 says, if you not conform to the ways of the world, but you allow your thinking to be renewed, well, God will allow you to test and approve what his will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. It might not seem good and perfect and pleasing to you at the time, but I promise you, this is the good father. It's good for you. And he wants to call us to that. It's a higher standard. But I want to tell you that becoming dangerous and navigating this journey, there's some things and perspectives and priorities that need to change in our life. Because this is the normal, and I know because often I'm in the journey of it, everything falls apart. I know i got to go to God, and i got to speak to a pastor, because maybe he'll hear from God for me. Or if there's a prophet in town, I'll run to that meeting. And this church swells, whoop, there's a prophet in town. Now, I love the prophetic gift, and I love prophets, and I've got friends who will read phone numbers from heaven and speak life into your life. That's awesome. But God says, you don't have to wait for a prophet anymore. God says, actually, it's the privilege of sons and daughters to be led by God. That's what Romans 8 says. It says, to be led by God, the Spirit of God, that's what it means to be a son and daughter of the living God. But somehow we've separated the two. Wars have been fought for this thing. The Reformation was about this thing, that there is no ceiling above sons and daughters of the living God. There is no clergy that's the neck between God, the head, and the body. Please don't do that to me. Please don't do that to any preacher man. You are exposing them because there is no body, neck, and head. There's just the head, Jesus, and the body, and I'm part of it. And anyone who God graces with gifts to preach, teach, prophesy, whatever it is, they're part of the body too. They need you. Thank you. I like having you here. And um, I do. I want to tell you three things that I think when we get these priorities and focuses in our life, they allow us to walk in the steps of God, and they're simple, 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 simple things. The first one is this. And you're going to think, well, Mark, how does that help me hear 
the will of God? Well, I'm going to tell you. Number one, people are the prize. See, what happens is we go on our mission, and we end up down here, and we say, God, show me which way. He says, well, I told you back there, I never wanted you to go down here. So I need you to get on my mission. And when we start getting on the mission of God, he starts gracing us for his mission. We get power for that story. And I want to tell you at the center of God's mission is people. Oh, but I'm an accountant. I need to hear God for numbers. No, behind those numbers are people. A nation that needs economies to be bolstered by wisdom given to the saints of God. That's what God promises. This is what it looks like. See, because we need power for this gospel story. In Acts verse 1, you've heard this. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I don't know about you, but, but, but I need power. And you need power. I need the power of God when I walk into a room. I don't have all the answers. It's so funny. Pastors walk into a room and they expect this guy to have all the answers. It's a lie. It's, there's just the power of God or nothing. There's some helpful principles, but it's the power of God or nothing. And you, when you walk into a room of a marriage that's broken, you don't need to be a qualified marriage counselor for the room to change, for the environment to change. Why? Because power is given for what? To be my witnesses, to tell his story to this world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I used to read that and think, well, Jerusalem, like Jesus just picked geographical spaces because he's trying to tell us the gospel's got to go. It's a going gospel. Although when I read Jesus' journey, I see that he went to Jerusalem, he went to Judea, he went to Samaria, and he went to the ends of the earth, and it was about people every time. I'm going to show you in the book of John, John chapter 2, verse 12, verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's where he is, a real place. But what's at Jerusalem? John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Jesus says, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world with this man. Jerusalem wasn't the extending empire of the kingdom of God. Jerusalem was a religious man who knew religion, who had standing in society but had no relationship with the Father. And Jesus breaks into his life and heals him. And I promise you, when you make people the priority of your story, whatever your skill set, whatever vocation you have, I promise you God begins to lead. And he says, Jerusalem, Jesus, now I need you to go to Judea. What's in Judea? Well, it says in, in John chapter 3, that carries on. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside. We, see, we read that and we think, well, he's just, that's where the road led. No, he had options. He could have gone left. He could have gone right. He could have gone backwards. He could have gone forwards. But he's walking with God. He's put the Spirit of God upon him. He's being led as a man with the Spirit of God. He's fully God, fully man, and God's leading him. Says where he spends some time with him and baptized. Oh, Judea with people reaching out, crying out for the touch of Jesus to be fully immersed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he's baptizing them, and the hands of the Almighty are touching the dirt of this earth. Judea were people being touched by Jesus. Samaria, well, I love this one. John chapter 4, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Samaria wasn't about a town to be conquered. A, a, a story to get bigger. Samaria was a woman at a well who had five husbands, was living with another man, and shame was poured upon her. So she went in the middle of the day where no one else went because she thought there'd be no one there. And she put a bucket down to get water. And Jesus, instead of water, gave her life. Samir is a woman at a well. It's the broken. It's the lost. It's the bruised. Jesus says, you want power? Well, that power is going to be for you to tell my story to Jerusalem, the righteous, those with standing, to Judea, those who need my touch and their full immersion in my love, to Samaria, a woman at a well. And she goes and tells a story to her town. And John chapter 4 ends this way. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The ends of the earth are his. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the power that comes for that journey, whatever your journey is, it's for people. It always was for people. You want to be led by God, fall in love with people. Oh, I'm not a people person. Well, then get on your knees before the God who gave his life for people and ask him to expand and explode your heart. So much so that it hurts when you think that there are billions of people who do not know him and have not received his salvation. And I promise you, go on that journey, and you'll find you'll stumble into the steps of God for your life. We make it so big. If I, if I, if I just get in this awkward prayer position, and I stay there for three hours, and if, if they're just playing that song, God will speak to me. Rubbish. Rubbish. You're a son. You're a daughter of the living God. He will speak to you because of that. That's why he speaks to you. You're very serious this morning. Is it me? I'm out too. Very serious. I promise you, church, we'll get dangerous when we get back to being led by God. We put other voices aside and we just trust Him. And that's why point number two, you've heard me say it time and time and time again. Trust Him. And if I had one more preach in my life to preach, I would preach trust Him. Our Father who art in heaven, I trust you. That this is what it looks like because trusting his voice more than human wisdom or self-preservation is a big thing. Acts chapter 9, we encounter this man, Saul. He's a persecutor of the church. He is renowned and famous for persecuting the church. He's an enemy of the church. This is what happens. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Nice guy. Like the guy invited home for tea. No, not that guy. And um, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Let's just see this. This guy has dangerous to the church. But we know the end of the story. It's he becomes dangerous against the enemies of the kingdom of God. He becomes powerful for the gospel. What happened? 
Uh, obviously, he went on a course. He got, it was a 12-week course because everything has to be a 12-week course. And, and, and obviously, he served at church. He was faithful in life group for a long time. No. He's on a mission to destroy the church. He encounters the king of kings once. He gets blinded in that encounter. And God says, I need you to go to the guys who know you as the persecutor. I need you to go there. Oh God, that doesn't actually make sense. You see, here's the thing, they're gonna kill me. Oh, but, but, and God, there's another problem. I can't see anything. So when they come at me, I can't duck and weave. That's how I think. I rationalize and justify. But God says, go. So he says, I trust you. And in one encounter with God, he makes a decision that not only changes his life, it transforms the potential of the gospel to reach the ends of the earth, thousands upon thousands, and we know his name. Why? Because he was led by God because he chose against self-justification and self-preservation to trust him. And the church is going, God, I don't hear you. Why don't you speak? He says, well, I've spoken a thousand times and you didn't trust me enough. So other voices have become loud. We become dangerous when God leads us. He wants to lead you. And I'm off point number three, and this is not, it's follow hard after God, follow God. What are disciples? I've said it, they are followers of God. But follow hard after God. I, I remember when I was making some of the biggest decisions of my life, there was this guy named Jason Upton. He came out with, anyone know him? He came out with a song called Dying Star. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that now. I want to be a shooting star. Like, deal with me in a year. But he sang this song, follow hard after God. Follow hard. He just kept on singing over and over. And I realized that this journey is not going to be one where I'm just going to be pulled along. I've got to follow him. I've got to make decisions to follow him, to be led by him, to walk in his ways. It's not easy. I want to give you a story. We were in Acts chapter 9. I want to take you to Acts chapter 10. I love the book of Acts. If you haven't read it, it'll take you about 2 hours and 40 minutes if you read at my speed. Just sit down and read it. Like, don't read one. Just sit down, cut out a movie, and read the book of Acts, and you will come alive to the possibilities. This is what happens in Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Good starting point. He says, he, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call Anything impure that God has made clean. Those words, spoken from God, led his steps to become the man that takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you are sitting here today and you are not a Jew who encountered the love of God, then you're a Gentile. And because a man encountered God and God spoke and he listened to it, he said, all my prejudice, all my pride, all my preferences are wrapped up in this package. And God, you're saying everything that I thought you called impure and unclean, you touched and you made pure and clean. He says, yes. He says, well, then God, I'm going to go and I'm going to follow your steps. I'm going to follow hard after God. But what changed it? God spoke. 
Can I have the band up, please, if that's all right? And the implication of that decision is not just that Peter stepped into a bigger story and now we're here and we know his name. Awesome. It's that the Gentiles got to hear of the gospel, that God went into that house and he filled them with the spirit of God and it began to become a wave that could never be stopped. And right now, church is exploding in the Middle East and it's exploding in China. Why? Well, God would have used another man, I think, if Peter didn't respond the way he did, but he did. He trusted, he listened, he followed. See, and sometimes we make this hearing God thing so out there. And I think it becomes an easy avenue for us not to ask God to lead us. Because we're like, we'll leave that up for the heavy hitter Christians. And I want to tell you, it's not just a privilege of a son and daughter of God to be led by God. It's the number one priority. I think we become dangerous to ourselves. We become dangerous sometimes even to the mission of God because we get lost along the way. We get confused. But when we follow hard after God, and maybe if you'll indulge me to share a little bit of my story one more time. I was 27 years old. I spent eight years in the corporate world from a graduate at 21 years old. And because of my parents' liquidation, I chased hard after success. I was good at it. Selling ice creams. I was a marketing manager. I could get kids goods hooked on sugar like this. <laughs> I loved it. And then my dream job came along. And people in our church, good people who had sold their business for a lot of money. There was a business for sale in our city. And FMCG business said, I've watched you. I've watched your career. I know you're what you do. I can't run this business, but you can. So I want you to run it. And everything inside of me and my mouth went, yes. He said, well, we got to do a due diligence for the next three weeks. I said, well, I'm a Christian. You know, I've got to pray and fast about it, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know what that means. But you know what I did? I was stupid. I prayed and I fasted. Because when I was 19 years old and I had nothing, there's a God in heaven who was faithful to me. And when I was 21 years old and I had nothing, I got a job that I lied in the interview and they discovered it. And I still got the job. Why? Because there's a God in heaven who's bigger and greater. And then the opportunity of a lifetime came to me. It's all I ever wanted, if I'm being brutally honest. My father's, on this earth's heart went like this because he'd lost everything. He just wanted success for me. But I prayed and I fasted. My wife was there, you can ask her. I couldn't sleep for two weeks. I was listening to CD after CD and everyone started singing about the will of God. It's the bondage breaker. Look, I want my will now. But God spoke. I would drive and just hit the dashboard like irrationally. And my wife thought I'd gone nuts because I was wrestling this thing of there's a will of my father. It's good, perfect, and pleasing for me. I know I can take any step and he'll still love me. But I want to love him by living for him. Here's the irony of it all. I'd never preached a sermon in my life. Never. No one had ever spoken to me about coming a pastor. And to be brutally honest, I never wanted to be one. I loved them. For those guys, I wanted to be the business guy. 
mighty, but the fathers on this earth can get good gifts. How much more the Father in heaven? And then I realized he had something different for me, not for, for me. But I'm telling you, he is far more faithful, far more kind, far more gracious than you could ever imagine. I went back to those businessmen. I said, I can't take this. I said, why? I actually can't tell you. Because they were in my church. Now I'm going to go to them and say, I'm going to become a pastor. They're like, no, you're not. They haven't even been asked. But I know. He was on eldership at the church I was in. It was awkward. I had to go my father on this earth who loved me but had known loss of everything. Saw me succeeding in an environment and he really struggled with my decision at that time. But there's got to be a higher voice than any voice of this earth. There's got to be. It's called the Father of Heaven. My Father. Your Father. And He wants to lead your steps. Can we stand together, please? I think if Cairns could tell that story, she'd tell it differently. Didn't she say she thought her husband had gone nuts? She said, we would never have been here if there wasn't a girl on the other side of that who encountered the love of God at 21 years old, out of rave clubs and all sorts of nonsense. Who said, God's speaking, we got to listen. What's your whole story? What's your book of Acts 29 story that God wants to do with you? What's your faith journey? Because I'm telling you, it's not going to be ticking Christian religion boxes. It's not going to be attending church a thousand times in the rest of your life. That won't be the story you will tell. It will be the moments your father speaks and he leads. But then you respond. And then you trust. And then you follow regardless of the cost. And you trust that there is one thing that sustains in this life. And it's the will of a father of how much more. Can we close our eyes, please? All I want to do today is stir up an appetite in you to hear your father's voice. Maybe even that, if, if a father's voice is a thing that brings pain to your life, I want to ask you to surrender that today. Say, Spirit of God, come. Heal my heart so I can hear my Father in heaven. If your Father was absent, right now, please know that the Bible says and the Spirit of God is here in this room to tell you there is a Father in heaven who loves you, who has a will for your life, a good, perfect, and pleasing will. And if you would trust Him, he will sustain you in every step. And economics will rise and fall and politics will change and emotions will go up and down, but there will be a sustaining stream in your life called the goodness of God. Right now, if you're saying, actually, Mark, I've got to surrender. I, I, I give God my Sunday. I give Him my pains, I give, but I don't give Him my steps. But I need to surrender to the will of God. If you need to do that, will you lift your hands to Him now? And I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God will begin to speak even now 
I'm going to pray that some of you will be up all night tonight because God is speaking. Spirit of God, you are here revealing the Father, the Son. Right now, I pray, begin to speak. Take the, the covers off ears to hear. Take the lenses that stop us seeing off, Lord, and allow us to see the Father this morning, tonight. As people make decisions for life, I pray the last step wouldn't be, let me ask God. I pray the first step would be, Father, speak, because I can't move until you move. And when your cloud moves, I will follow. And when your spirit is upon us, I will follow because you are faithful and you are kind. And I trust you with my life. I trust you with my steps. I trust you with my future. And I cannot move from that posture. Lead us, Spirit of God, today. Unseat the voices, the pretenders that speak into our life take the highest place, King Jesus and our glorious Father. We worship you today. We worship you, God. Praise you, King. Surrender. I wish I had all the answers for your questions. I really do. But there is a Father in heaven who has every single one. Surrender to Him. We worship you, King.